0: Law Talk radio Thank you for tuning in to the lawyers toolbox on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Today is December 16th, and I am your host Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a national law practice management headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end business of managing a law firm. Today's guest is technology attorney Marcus Stephen Harris of the global law firm of Marcus Stephen Harris LLC, a top technology attorney with an impressive reputation for knowing the technology industry from the inside out so that his firm continues to offer unparalleled legal services to global technology and intellectual property clients. Marcus Stephen Harris LLC is located downtown Chicago, Illinois, and the law firm's website is www.mshtechlaw.com. That's m s mshtechlaw.com. We do have a great show for you this afternoon. We invite your caller questions by dialing area code nine one seven eight eight nine nine seven three two pressing option one to be placed in the caller queue and we can also take your questions via email directly at nick at a l r p r a dot com that's n i c k at alrpra.com with Law Talk Radio in the subject line. By way of general disclaimer before we get going today, I want to let you know that this is a general information program and the advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests among callers and guests on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. If you have further questions, you're always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. I have a few announcements to read before we get going today. First, I'd like to let you know that the Collaborative Law Institute, on January 25th 2011, from 2 to 5, with a reception to follow from 5 to 6. We'll be hosting an MCLE seminar at the Chicago Bar Association located at 321 Plymouth Court, Chicago, Illinois. More information is available on that at www.chicagobar.org. This three-hour, uh, this three-hour presentation is a prelude to the larger two-day training, and there is also a non-family Civil Collaborative Training in Chicago coming up in February, information about which can be found at cpchicago.net. The presentation is entitled Collaborative Law, Expanding Your Practice with This Limited Scope Model. The seminar will cover the history, the mechanics, the ethics, and the shift in communication styles needed to practice in this new and developing area of conflict resolution. Discussions will cover the application of the collaborative practice model in family law and non-family law cases, and the necessary steps practitioners must take to retool their practices to provide collaborative practice option to clients. Our second announcement for the day is that this coming January 5, 2011, classes start at ALR PRA's Law Practice Management School. This weekly online practice management education program covers management, marketing, technology and finance. For more information, or to apply, please visit ALRPRA.com. And for more information, you can also send your email to nick, N-I-C-K at for a course outline, which will be available Monday, December 20th. Price for this 12-week course is $500, and the missed lectures are recorded in a Windows Media Player format for easy later review. Moving ahead with our show today, we have Chicago technology attorney Marcus Stephen Harris, who will introduce his firm's quarterly technology update webinar series, where presenting attorneys will share updates and insight that matter to the technology company executives and clients of the firm. Marcus will also be talking about some industry trends and emerging in the tech sector, for example, how to reduce software licensing costs in a down economy. Additional areas of focus today will be on the software resale licensing segment and also video game law and fashion and merchandising work. So, do call in if you do have any questions. Again, our telephone number is area code 917-889-9732, option 1 for the queue. Uh, Moving right Ahead. Marcus, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing good, Nick. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to have you on the show again. I'm glad to be here. All right. Well, moving forward, let's talk a little bit about these quarterly updates, uh, these quarterly update webinars. The first one to be held on February 15th, 2011 at 11 a.m. Central Time. Marcus, can you tell us a little bit about the goal behind this uh, quarterly series and what you seek to do for your clients and uh, prospective clients who want more information on trends and things that are going on in tech law? Well, the goal, Nick, is really informative and educational, um,
1: in, in essence. Um, you know, We've got a wide variety of, of subject matter expertise, um, ranging from trademarks, trade secrets, uh, patents, uh, video game law, fashion issues, um, and a variety of just intellectual property-related information. And um, it's it's important for you know our clients and our prospective clients one to just be informed about these areas cuz they impact their businesses on a daily basis and it's also important for us just to um let our our current client base know what we do um the other areas of expertise that we practice in for example i mean you know we represent some very large software vendors some global software vendors and we do a variety of work for them um, on a software licensing basis, um, but you know to the extent they have some very specific trademark needs, um, they need to know that that 's something that we do as well, and that we have uh, some deep subject matter expertise in those areas um, and that we can assist them so again, the goals are really you know to um, keep our clients updated uh, with respect to the legal issues that they are facing uh, with regarding new trends and new issues that are developing, and um you know client education and uh really just to keep our clients informed as to you know the, the what what services we provide and and um uh what other um issues they may need to uh, be aware of
0: Okay, Marcus, can you, for those of our listeners who may not have worked with your firm before or may have some general questions about software licensing, uh, you mentioned that as one of the things that you do provide for your clients. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to someone who has not uh, before looked into that and what type of client or what type of business would be someone who should think about software licensing who may not already have done so? So I guess the question is, what is it that you do to help the companies and, and what should they do to issue Spot whether they have a need to? Call you
1: well you know we we represent a variety of different types of technology users, and um, you know the type of technology user that's going to need um, to have software licenses developed for them are really going to be um, vendors of of any types of software. Um, And vendor, to an extent, is kind of a misnomer because what software companies do, Nick, is that they license their software. They typically do not sell it. They sell licenses to the software, but a sale and a license are two separate and distinct things. Um, So if you have a startup software company and you want to exploit the intellectual property that you have developed, namely the software, you need a vehicle by which to do that. And the vehicle that you do that uh, with is the software license and if you don't have any expertise in that area um it is an incredibly bad idea to draft your own software licenses um you know i've seen uh, a variety of types of agreements like those they're co- they're cobbled together from you know different uh, documents that these people see on the internet and some of them have uh, a variety of incorrect terms they uh sometimes are not even styled as licenses they're rather styled as sales And once you start selling software rather than licensing it, you actually lose um, many of your rights to that software. So you can have significant issues if you do this incorrectly. So the the typical client that we see that would come to us for um, software licensing needs can be um, a, a small startup software company. That is maybe selling software um, directly to its customers through sales channels and the like via salespeople. It can be a small vendor making uh, its software available on Apple's App Store uh, and the like. you know or it can be even a large uh, software vendor, and we represent a number of those as well, and they you know they've got templates in place, but um, they need someone to represent them in the drafting and negotiating of uh, customer request changes. So there's a variety of different clients that would need to avail themselves of those types of services.
0: Now, Marcus, when you talk about customer requested changes, are they requesting changes that are are occurring because the law has changed? Or something, uh, a case has come down that that maybe affects uh, the agreement that they're currently using? Or is it because they have different technology or something they adapted that wasn't in their earlier agreement? Um, when would the customers request updates?
1: Well, you know, when I say customers, what I mean, you know, you've got to distinguish that between clients. So a client of our firm, say, would be a software company that's exploiting its, its uh, intellectual assets or its intellectual property. So it is then going out and selling licenses to that technology to its customer base, okay? And many times customers will have substantive issues and concerns with the way that document is presented. And so they will then forward that document to their own attorney, and that attorney will make red-line changes to that document, and then um, you know, the software company client will send those back to us for review, uh, modification, and further negotiation. So it can happen that way. But one of the other ways that can also happen is kind of along the lines of what you said. There can be uh, you know, substantive changes in the law. There can be um, different... Uh, technology implementations that require either new contracts or changes to existing contracts. So that that's uh, one way that it happens as well and you go back and you you know you figure out what the needs are uh for this particular type of technology, uh, how it needs to be protected contractually and you develop those contracts and you um you know provide the the client with those who then sends those over to uh its customers or ultimate end users.
0: Okay, I understand. So then the technology updates you'll be offering will have changes or updates or things in the law for or different issues maybe that uh, existing or potential clients could review and then possibly call, uh, main a call to action to find out if their agreement is something that needs to be updated. Um, is that something that you offer at Marcus Stephen Harris LLC to review some of uh, people's existing agreements to see if they're compliant?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. We review those kinds of documents on a daily basis, and that is a service that we offer to our clients. The technology law updates, these quarterly updates that we're going to be doing, are going to cover anything from, you know, trade secret law to to aspects of trademark law. So it's going to really run the gamut of uh, intellectual property-related issues. Um, You know, one of the things that we see now that's going on uh, with some of our clients is we have, um, you know, key employees that are leaving and then starting their own companies and then using these companies to compete with our clients. And, you know, these types of activities um, implicate uh, legal issues associated with trade secrets, um, you know, employment issues, uh, just a whole host of legal-related issues um, that, um, you know, we'd like to provide our clients with updates and our clients really need to know about. Um, you know, there's certain things that you can do to um Streamline the process of key company employees leaving the company um, having the proper agreements in place and having the proper policies in place so that you know you're not hit with uh, an unintended scenario where you know your senior vice president of technology um, jumps over to a competitor or forms a brand new company and then starts competing with you uh, to service the technology that you provide to your own customers. Um, And we've actually seen that recently with one of our clients. So that would be one of the kinds of things that we might want to talk about in these technology law updates. Um, Others would be, let's say, you know, educating um software salespeople on how to negotiate software license agreements. It's typically um a, a difficult document for these people to understand, it can be. Um and knowing the finer points of, of the documents and where the negotiation points are and what you can give up and not give up, um, those are important skills to have and ultimately it uh you know enables um the clients to, to make more money.
0: Now Marcus I understand that you come from uh in house Background in law as well, and it seems that that's a very nice blend with your practice currently, uh, with the, with a the background in dealing with a lot of those um, from a corporate standpoint. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yes, I, and I think you know what's nice about that is that because we've been on
1: the inside, and, and let me just back up a little bit. When you're when you're an in-house attorney, one of the responsibilities that you have um, is managing outside counsel. So, you know, you are responsible for um, reviewing their performance, um, setting goals for them um, in line with a particular business unit that you represent in-house, whether those are litigation goals or, um, you know, contractual goals, whatever it may be, you know, you're defining these goals and you're really providing your outside attorney with a fixed legal budget that you need to meet um, so that, you know, that they can provide those services within that budget that you need to meet. And that's a really good training ground for actually, you know, being, an attorney on the outside so when clients come to us they're typically surprised by the fact that um, you know we are usually budget conscious um, we are price sensitive and you know our goal is to work with our clients within whatever their legal budget is to get effective results and you know one of the the mantras of our firm is that we don't measure success by the number of hours we bill you know, we measure success by the value that we provide via our services to our client. And, you know, we're reminded of that every day. When I talk to the attorneys that work for me, that's what we talk about is where is the value at? You know, what are we doing to move this um, matter forward for the benefit of our client, for our client, and what are the client's ultimate goals? You know, and, and a lot of times those goals, um, you know, can deviate from, you know, something that is going to be long and drawn out, and that's that's a wonderful thing. You know, We don't want to have long drawn out the legal battles. We want to get things done efficiently, quickly, and uh, in the best interest of our clients.
0: Well, Marcus, it is certainly great, though, to at the same time be able to set expectations up front and manage those expectations. And one of the extra value adds that I appreciate from your webinar series is that, again, these will be recorded so that anyone who was interested in attending um, is able to view a uh, Windows Media Player format. Just, this is, and again, this is the same webinar format that we use here at ALRPRA. So uh, it is really nice that when people can't necessarily attend something when it's hosted live, they can view it later. So that's also a nice thing.
1: Well, it's a great thing. And, you know, we're, we're impressed with technology. We're excited about implementing it. And um, One of the advantages for our firm in using that type of technology is that we are very much a global law firm. We have clients, um, you know, in in all over the world, literally, uh, from Shanghai to, uh, you know, Rotterdam, um, Hong Kong, uh, South Africa. It's, you know, we we have a wide-ranging client base, and most of those clients obviously aren't going to be able to come to our downtown office and and attend a seminar. So, you know, the value-add here is, you know, they are able to attend. And uh, if they can't attend that day, they can certainly get a link and, and, uh, you know, uh, learn about whatever legal issue is topical for
0: that uh, particular seminar. Such great information! Thank you for sharing that during our first segment. Let's stop and take a break for a commercial identification. Then we'll be back and talk a little bit more about uh, some of the technology law issue forecast for 2011. For those of you who are just tuning in, you are listening to the Lawyer's Toolbox on ALR PRA's Law Talk Radio. You can go to alrpra.com forward slash Law Talk Radio to find any of our archive episodes, broadcasts, and also to find upcoming broadcasts and guests who will be on our show and there's also a link there that you can send us a request for some additional information or suggest individuals or topics you'd like to hear covered on our programs Our first sponsor of the day is Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme. When you want the right legal services to advance creativity, call the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, Internet law, and advertising law. You can find the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the Law Firm's business page, you will Receive periodic blog updates with the recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Our second sponsor of the day is the lawyer market. Now, I discovered the lawyer market some time ago, and this website is one of the best kept secrets for solos and small firms trying to market their practices. You can join the Lawyer Market for free, and the online marketplace will actually send you the name and contact information of consumers interested in hiring you or for your legal services. The Lawyer Marketplace offers a win-win solution to its listed attorneys and potential clients searching for legal services. Please visit thelawyermarket.com forward slash lawyers for more information. That website, again, is thelawyermarket.com Forward slash lawyers. Now back to our program, we want to encourage any listeners who are interested in calling in with questions to dial area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the queue. That number again is 917-889-9732, option 1. Also, we want to let you know that as many of our listeners are located worldwide, we opt I appreciate the opportunity that you may share these broadcasts and the permanent links on social media channels you use to share information with your friends. So, again, if you find our shows and you find them interesting, please click the share button and share them with others. Now back to our program. Our second segment, we're talking with a technology attorney Marcus Stephen Harris today from the global law firm of Marcus Stephen Harris LLC. We spoke a little bit in our first segment about the upcoming social media or the upcoming technology update uh, series that's going to be starting February fifteenth. Again, February fifteenth at 11 a.m. Central. And again, for those who are not able to attend live. There is a recorded uh, version that can be sent to you by email after the fact and posted uh, online as well. So back now to uh, Marcus Stephen Harris. Marcus, we talked a little bit about software licensing and some of the the main uh, areas that your firm practices. And let's talk a little bit more about some of the other uh, areas of practice. I know that you mentioned um, software reselling, video game law, uh, fashion, and merchandising work. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the other areas that you help your clients? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a, a wide range of, of legal services that we provide,
1: and they're primarily concentrated in the areas of, uh, you know, technology law, which we've talked briefly about, um, interactive media law, uh, which is uh, video game law. Um, social media law, those types of things. Um, And there's a variety of issues associated with um, video games and the implementation of video games on the Internet, Um, some of those being trademark issues, um, some of those being publishing agreements, um, just standard business contracts, um, right of privacy, right of publicity, copyright issues. It really runs the gamut, And we've got a lot of interesting video game clients, and we work with a lot of people that um, are doing a lot of uh, apps for mobile phones, and a lot of social uh video games um you know for sites like uh Facebook so those are some uh interesting clients that we have uh, dealing with some cutting edge issues um, so it's 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 a lot of fun dealing with those kinds of issues we also have uh a, a number of clients in the fashion space uh handbag designers for example um cosmetic companies um clothing designers and uh sunglass uh designers, and we've dealt with a variety of issues related to these people um, uh you know one of the uh more interesting cases we had was dealing with uh, allegations of copying um in the European Union uh by a large uh French uh fashion house um, uh, relating to uh some some sunglass designs. Uh, we obtained in that case a very favorable result for our client and uh we're able to uh our client was able to continue to to sell its uh its products in uh outlets both in the United States and uh in Europe without any kind of problems um so like i said our 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 services really run the gamut you know um, fashion law technology law uh video
0: game law corporate immigration general corporate law okay one of the questions or one of the things that you and I talked about earlier, Marcus, as well, was uh some articles and, and things that you saw coming down the, the pike for and uh, you know we're talking a little about trends in tech law in upcoming in two thousand eleven and, and forward. Can you tell me a little bit about what we can expect um trend wise, what types of things you're seeing? One of the things that that we're seeing
1: more and more in our practice, and keep in mind, Nick, that we represent both software vendors and users of of software or technology. And one of the things that we're seeing on the user side is really um, it, it, it's really a byproduct of of the economy. Okay, um, what we're seeing is a real um, desire by software companies to be flexible in the prices that they charge and the fee structures uh, that they're willing to engage. So if you're looking to license software as a user, there really is uh, no better time to do it than now. Um, You're going to be met with uh, vendors that are very willing to negotiate with you both on um, pricing models and usage. And, um, like I said, there's a lot of opportunity in this space, um, but you need to really know what you're doing, and you need to know what to ask for, and you need to uh, know what to take advantage of.
0: Okay. Now, when you talk about software in the resale uh, sector of this, what exactly is going on there?
1: Um well, there's a variety of issues with the resale of software, but what I want to focus on uh, first is kind of an emerging trend is is just, you know, some of the strategies that I think um, you need to be aware of when you're going to acquire software. And this isn't really on the resale trend. It's really on the sale trend. Okay. okay. And we'll talk about the reselling of software a little bit later. Um, but like I said, you know, the uh, – the the economy and the nature of the economy now really is making more licensing options um, available to to purchasers, and um, I think the the power structure has really shifted. So in the past, really you know large vendors of say ERP software, Oracle, SAP, um, and whatnot, really were in the driver's seat. And if you wanted to use their software, you know you really didn't necessarily have a lot of negotiating power, depending on who you were. Um, and I think one of the first steps that you that you need to uh to take when you're thinking of engaging um one of these vendors or thinking of purchasing software is really to have done a very high level of due diligence um in with in that respect, you really need to figure out what you need um what pricing models are going to work for you, and you really need to fully understand your software needs and you really want to streamline those as much as as possible um you know so for example um the downside of purchasing um of you know your your ERP software is that once you deploy it you're very much in kind of a monopolistic relationship, and you're really at the mercy of that vendor. And that's not a position of power, and that's not the position that you want to be in. So the way that you you negate that is by really fully understanding what what your software needs. Ideally, you want to be in a situation where you can go to your vendor and you can say, well, look, you know what, over the next three years I am going to need this many users of this type of software, and this is what... um, I'm willing to pay for it, and to the extent that I'm going to need additional users, you know, here's the price that I'd like to pay for those additional users. By doing that, you really empower yourself because, you know, you you want to avoid a situation where you don't really know what your usage is, your usage needs are, and you, you know, you license um, a certain number of seats, and lo and behold, you know, now you need to license some additional seats because you didn't calculate it correctly the first time, and, you know, now they've got you and essentially what you're going to need to do is pay more than you otherwise would have if you would have anticipated
0: your needs. Hm. Very now I suppose this is something that ranges from the size of uh companies from small to large. Uh what what are the size of many of the companies that you're working with who are negotiating these numbers of licenses for all their different employees? I suppose it varies greatly.
1: Well, it can vary greatly, but typically the, the the types of customers that need to you know implement. Uh this type of, of software. And this, when I say ERP software, it's enterprise resource planning. And it's, it's, it's a term that has been used for uh, probably the last 20, 25 years or so. And it's really back-end software. The term is becoming a little bit outdated because the technology has kind of really shifted a little bit. Um, but, um, you know, we're talking about customer relationship management software. We're talking about business intelligence software. This is the kind of software, Nick, that um, manages warehouses, so um, manages uh, all your back-end accounting, for example you know if you have a if you have a uh, here's here's an example if you've got a company that supplies um you know imported um you know furniture uh that you get from you know abroad and you're supplying that to a whole bunch of different companies, let's say like TJ Maxx or, you know, uh, Cost Plus and You know, you, you need to have an efficient way to uh, get your uh, goods in your warehouse and then get them out. So this is the kind of software that really manages those processes. So the type of customer that would need these and the kind of the customers that we represent Um, are really kind of, um, they're primarily in the SMB space. And when I say SMB, what I mean is the small to medium-sized businesses. And really what we're seeing more of is just medium-sized businesses. You know, it's not so much the small firms that need this type of software, though they do, um, but they typically go for kind of a hosted service or um, a a service that's in the cloud, like a Salesforce.com or
0: something like that. Okay. What What are some other trends that we have a couple minutes before our next break? So besides renegotiating the uh, licensing deals, what are some other things that you're seeing emerging, maybe from the interactive media section or, or you know, here on the software and negotiation section? Any other uh, trends you wanted to share right now? In, from the video game side, what we're seeing a lot of is really these
1: interactive-type games. Um, and one of the most popular games that you see out there um, in this segment is something like FarmVille. Okay, which is uh it's a video game, but it's really much more than that. It's really kind of a social application, so you know you you play the game and you have your friends help you out uh with different types of uh you know uh, material that you need for your for your farm or you know they think there's another game out there the the mobsters game, I believe is what it is um so you know, that that's a huge trend right now that we're seeing. A lot of our video game clients um, are starting to develop games like this. Um, they're starting to think about how these games are going to be interacting on a variety of different platforms, not just platforms like um, Facebook, but platforms like Twitter, um, You know, phone-to-phone, these types of things. So social interaction in video games is becoming a very hot trend, and there's a variety of legal issues associated with that.
0: Oh well and I see them advertised all over the place. You can't go to a 7-11 without seeing ads for Farmville.
1: Well, is a very interesting um application, you know, and I think you you and I have uh, bandied about a term called moshal in the past, you know, with the social mobility or uh, you know, and and you're seeing this with with games like Farmville and it's where, you know, rewards um in the virtual world are then um you know, taken to that one step further, where you know you actually you know you you build you build the the best farm in Farmville for whatever, or you know whatever the goal is, you meet that particular goal, and now what happens is that you get to have a free you know a free hot dog at Seven uh, Eleven or 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 you know what have you, so you know that's a huge trend that we're seeing, and the the types of agreements that you need to implement to do those types of things, and the types of legal issues that you need to think about, um, are challenging, and um, they're very much at the vanguard of of what we do.
0: Now, one of the things – this came up, yes, uh, actually last night I was mentioning to a friend of mine that I I checked in somewhere on Foursquare, and I said – you know he says why do you do this and i, I told him that i think that i'm going to get credits or points for places that i <laughs> yeah, go often um and they're going to send me coupons in the mail i said it would make business sense that that would be the agreement they have i mean is that what's going on with uh with foursquare or is that or were they just uh you know points in a virtual world and, and uh little badges that are nice but have no monetary value
1: well, I think now they don't really have much of a monetary value when you look at it
0: um but
1: they are actively trying and into some- and to some extent they've actually implemented um you know uh scenarios where you do get uh discounts uh for being the particular mayor of somewhere so for example, you know I go into my local Starbucks and if you're the mayor of the local Starbucks, um you get a free drink for the day you know so for as long as well- you're mayor, you get a free drink.
0: And it's fun too, I mean why I think that's fun i would I'm the type of person who would go out of my way across the across town to go to my, <laughs> my my Starbucks because I'm the mayor of that starbucks i you know i think that I think it's fun, and I think that that's and that's really what most you know that's really a lot of what what they're talking about, isn't it well, it really is i mean I think you know
1: it's incentive based gaming and um it's it gets the customers involved it makes your users want to use you. And, I mean, it's really some kind – it's a type of advertising that we've never really seen before, you know. I mean, I don't remember off the top of my head how many users Foursquare has, but it's millions, I believe. Um, It's probably in the low numbers, I think. But, you know, that's a huge um, customer base or potential customer base, and it's only getting bigger. Um, And to the extent that they can figure out how to monetize that, you know, it's going to be very, very lucrative and very big. Oh, certainly.
0: so, well, you know, and another thing is Yelp. I, I think about Yelp, and I am very active in Yelp, and I trust, you know, I, when I when I moved into Lincoln Square, I, I went right on Yelp to try to find uh where I wanted to get my hair cut. And I'm glad that I went there because there was a wealth of information that otherwise wasn't there. And I found that people, uh, Yelp, for, just as an example, they go out of their way. People will really try to put their comments and feedback on there. Right, right. and. You know, Yelp is an interesting site
1: because I think they've tried to implement some of the uh, features of Foursquare where you can actually check in. You know, but they really aren't. In, in you know, I'm not a Yelp expert, and maybe you can, you know, maybe you can chime in, Nick, if you know um, uh, any better than I. But you know, it's it's not. Where Foursquare has the ability to monetize, monetize, you know, this badge and honor system that they've got, um, and to connect out to real world, world establishments, Yelp doesn't seem to be there yet, and, I, and I'm not sure if they're trying to do that yet or, you know, they do, they certainly have implemented their check-in feature, um, but I'm not sure what that gets you exactly uh, or what it can get you because you would think that, you know, the goal of a reviewing site um, or a site where reviews are posted would be to kind of be impartial, so I'm not sure, you know, what kind of relationship they want to have with these companies, but, um, but you know, there, there's I think you've got an interesting comparison. You've got kind of an older school website in Yelp, which really hasn't been around for that long, with, you know, something very much at the forefront, which is uh, Foursquare, which is very much into this motion kind of concept, you know. Um, and, you know, one one site trying um, in some ways not very efficiently um, uh, or, or in kind of a poor implementation
0: of the concept and then one, you know, really running with the concept in a pretty good way. hmm When we get back, let's take a pause for the break. And when we get back, I want to ask you about a couple other sites that are um, sparking my interest. Grubhub is one. Um, I think that it's interesting that Grubhub has everybody's menus, um, yet you can go to Grubhub for the menu for the restaurant that you might otherwise find online and go directly to them or go through Grubhub. And I just want to ask you, after we pause for a quick commercial break, what it would look like if you had uh, something like Grubhub or a new type of an application or a site like Yelp and you wanted to make a deal with so all the people out there in all the uh, restaurants, for example, I, I am just curious, you know, just simply like how a bill becomes a law, what that might look like. So after the break, we'll be right back. Again, for any of those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to The Lawyer's Toolbox on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. Today, before we get to our third sponsor, we'll give you some daily legal news. Today, this is coming from the American Law Daily. The AmLaw Daily has great news updates that cover uh, news events in law, uh, globally today's uh, article is titled Justice Department Sues BP Eight Other Defendants Over Deepwater Horizon Disaster article was posted by Brian Baxter and again is available on amlaw daily the text reads quote the justice department has sued bp and eight other individuals and defendants in us district court in new orleans over a 3 month oil spill in the gulf of mexico us attorney general eric holder junior announced on wednesday the explosion on april 20th that eventually sank the deepwater horizon Offshore drilling rig turned into the largest oil spill in U.S. history. BP, which leased the Deepwater Horizon for work on the undersea well, subsequently established a $20 billion compensation fund for victims of the spill. The London-based company now has to deal with a 27-page complaint filed under the Oil Pollution Act and Clean Water Act that will only add to its potential liabilities. Quote, we intend to prove these defendants are responsible for government removal costs, economic losses, and environmental damages without limitation, End quote. Holder said in a press conference in Washington, D.C. Holder was flanked by the EPA Administrator Lisa Jackson, Assistant Attorney General for the Justice Department Civil Division, Tony West, and Ignacia Moreno, Head of the Environment and Natural Resources Division. For the full article and for more information, please visit the AMLAW Daily News. Our third sponsor of the day is Jim Thompson. He is the individual behind the Get Clients Now program. He's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach, and you should talk to him if you're interested in taking the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is a recurring guest on our Lawyer's Toolbox show regarding attorney marketing. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. Again, you can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. Now back to our show. Again, anyone who's interested in calling in with a question, our telephone number is 917-889-9732, option 1 for the queue. Again, as a gentle reminder to you, if you are reviewing and listening to the show after our broadcast, which many of you do, please feel free to share this information with other people you might find would be interested in our programming. Again, our listeners drive the show, and we always want your programming input at nick at alrpra.com. com goes right to me. Please put Law Talk Radio on the Subject line. Now, going back to Marcus Stephen Harris, Chicago Technology Attorney. We were talking a little bit uh, earlier before the break about some of the different Moshe, again, mobile plus social uh, applications and um, different websites and companies. Marcus, I was asking you a little bit about Grubhub and some of these other sites. Could you give us an, an idea of what it would look like if I were someone starting a company with a site and wanted to do something like this? What would it look like?
1: Well, you know, I'm not particularly familiar with Grubhub, but but from what I know of it, I've actually never used it, but I think what you were saying is it's just, it's essentially, you know, a, it's a database of, of restaurants that deliver within your area. Is that correct? Right. Okay. So I think today if you're going to do something like that and you want to make a distinction between, um, you know, apps that, um, not apps, but just websites, I suppose, um, that are simply going to duplicate um the functionality of of things like you know Foursquare and the social proofing concept um from 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 sites and applications that actually do it very very well, and that's what they are about when they've been designed from the ground up okay so to answer your question what it would what would it look like today well it wouldn't look anything like what it looks like grubhub okay grubhub grubhub if it were designed from the ground up today would be a motion site. And when we say social, what we mean is that it would be something that really leverages the social proof um, to create loyalty, um, you know, and establish repeat uh, visits. And the reason that you would do that is because you're going to be better positioned to survive in the long run. You know, you're going to be able, as that type of a site, to um, really deliver advertisements in a way that um, are much more personal um, yet inexpensive expensive really and you know and they're gonna be reaching a larger audience. So, you know, if you're if you're a Grubhub, you're just one of many. You're just out there in a sea of websites essentially, you know. But once you start um leveraging some of these emotional aspects, some of these uh, social proof and reward-based um, kinds of functionality, social scoring, rating, and achievements, um, you know, you really start to build a loyal following, you know, like you said, you know, you're much more apt with Foursquare to, you know, walk across the loop and go to the Starbucks that you're the mayor of, you know, because right. you're going to get a free, a free drink, right. um, you know. So you compare that to a situation where, you know, in my building yesterday, there's a a coffee shop downstairs that's offering 50% off, uh, you know, coffee drinks. Um, I had no incentive to go down there. I thought about it. I wanted to. Didn't really, you know, uh, didn't make it. It was a busy day yesterday. But, you know, if I was a mayor and I wanted to keep up my mayorship or if I was going to receive some kind of other, you know, uh, reward-based kind of token, perhaps I would have gone there, you know, um what does it mean i don't know it doesn't really there is really any there's a psychological value associated with being the mayor i suppose um but you know it's uh they've keyed into something very interesting about human nature which i think really is you know um going to get them somewhere and you know if you're going to build a site from the ground up today and you're ignore, ignoring these kinds of social proofing and um, you know uh, uh social trends these reward based scoring uh, achievement trends um you're really um you know kind of a step
0: behind Certainly. And I think that it's a lot about you know, psychology, and again that was one of the things that I enjoyed so much studying in undergraduate work before law school was that um, you know, the psycho psychological background of what makes people do things and what's enjoyable. And I think that for so long we were marketed to relentlessly with pop up ads everywhere and you know, and install the right, you know, tools to prevent the pop ups. And now people are learning to market to each other in a way that they're showing again, like you, in on what you said earlier, that adds value and giving people things that they want, and giving people things that they like, and um, it's. I think it's a very different style of approach now. And one of the things that I see people doing is being mindful of people's time and making it easy for them. And one of the things that I've, you know, saw, seen and that uh, talks about this a lot is the uh, the ability to get into new sites by Going in through Facebook, for example, Scribd. When I first got on Scribd, um, uh, one of my clients was interested in, in using it, and let's find out more information about Scribd. Well, it was easy because I could log in through Facebook, allow you know, click allow, and make sure that um, that it's a safe site. And make sure I looked at the settings and adjusted those. But I was able to get in through Facebook. So by not having to go through uh, the whole process of doing a login and a password, I mean these are extra steps and road bumps that get that really prevent us from doing things. I mean, I don't have time to create new uh, accounts for all these different things, and I'm certainly not going to inundate the people on my uh, Facebook friend list with uh, invitations to join me on all these other things. It just makes more sense that um, you know if everyone allows to, to go through you know, Facebook sort of as a parent social media site, that all these other offshoots can you know, hitch their wagon to Facebook, and it just seems to be uh, a more collective and, and pl- pleasing uh, uh, situation. Right. Well, and I
1: think that's the psychology of it. I think, you know, where Facebook's power really um, is, in some respects, is that, you know, it's got this kind of social credibility. So what I mean by that is, you know, you see that, uh, for example, you know, all of your friends are um, talking about a particular website or a particular television show or they all like something, you know, and then you're going to instantly um, go check it out. And, you know, that is a much more efficient way of advertising um, than what we've seen in the past in traditional forms of advertising. You're actually leveraging people um, to use their social network and their social contacts um, for your own promotion, you know, and that's exactly what Foursquare is doing. It's doing it in a little different way, uh, you know, with this reward concept, but, but the underlying concept is really the same is that you know you're seeing people check in places and you're seeing people do things and you know all of a sudden there's a uh, you know a wave of interest in a particular product or a particular location and you know you you want to know about it and you want to to check it out because you are connected to these people and they're you know it's it's another avenue for advertisers
0: and for promotion and for making money Now, speaking of making money, what would you tell someone who came to you and said, Marcus, I have a new app that's going to be the next big thing, and I want people to be able to log in through Facebook? Uh, What do you do with a client who comes to you with that? What What are the steps? Well, there's a couple of different concepts there. There's one just, you
1: know, the the viability of the app in general and then, you know, forming a relationship with Facebook. And we can talk about both of those. And this is a question that I get asked on at least a weekly basis, okay? People know that we do a lot of work with uh, mobile applications, and um, we're kind of known uh, for that in the city of Chicago. And so we get a lot of uh, uh, calls about these types of legal services. I had one a couple of days ago. And, you know, my first response is, okay, well, you know, tell me about it. Tell me what it is and the reason that we do that is um very basic but you know we need to know if it's protectable from an intellectual property standpoint one and two if you we need to know if you're actually infringing anybody else's rights you know so you want to know what you have you want to know if it's protectable or not and you also want to know um whose steps you might be um stepping on or whose shoes you might be stepping on because you need to know the risk associated with going forward with that particular idea
0: Mm-hmm. What? And, and I could see that people are very interested in doing things where they're uh, hitching up to Facebook. And I just want, real quickly, before we go to our final break, I want to let you know that I just saw an article. Actually, someone shared it with me that said, um, according to a new survey from Constant Contact, Facebook is now the third most, most third most important marketing tactic behind websites and email marketing for U.S. small businesses. It says that for more than 1,400 small businesses marketers were surveyed. Ninety three percent reporting that their websites were the most important marketing tool for finding new customers. Email ranked second with 92%, and Facebook was a third with 60%, up 50% from six months ago. So again, up to 63% uh, of marketing efforts, up uh, up again 50% from six months ago. Marcus, does that surprise you? Well, I think it's shocking.
1: I mean, I really do. The, you know, and it it's shocking on one hand, but then, you know, on one hand it's not because I think, you know, Facebook is really its own beast. It's um it's an animal in that, you know, you it, it, people are just kind of drawn to it and it's uh, it's addictive um you want to see what other people are doing and it's a big time waster really in, in some respects and i mean that in in a in a very sincere way i don't mean that in a negative way i mean i think that's a good thing you know you they've they've succeeded in capturing people you know how many times a day do you check facebook well you know i think a lot of people check it uh, certainly more than once and um you know some people check it uh uh many many times um so you know for it, it, it's ripe for advertising and promotion of companies and you know today one of the biggest things to have if you're a small company is to have a business site on Facebook and if you don't you're really a step behind you know
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to leverage your own social network you want to have your own fan base on Facebook you want to be posting to Facebook and um you know you uh, uh it, like I said if you, if you're not doing that um you're really missing out on some important marketing, uh, you know, outlets for your company. Um, But as you do these things, you know, you need to think about some of the legal implications that are involved with using social media and
0: some of the etiquette that you need to have so as to avoid getting yourself into trouble. And let's talk about a couple of those right after our final break. Thank you for anyone who's just tuning in to the Lawyer's Toolbox on ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. We're talking to technology attorney Marcus Stephen Harris about different uh, all things uh, technology in the tech world as it applies to intellectual property law and other things, and the technology law forecast for 2011. We want to share with you a few law practice management resources quick before we finish the show out. And the first law practice management resource today comes from the American Bar Association. Website is www.ababooks.org it is virtual law practice how to deliver legal services online quote the legal market has recently experienced a dramatic shift as lawyers seek out alternative methods of practicing law and providing more affordable legal services virtual law practice is revolutionizing the way that public receives legal services and how legal professionals work with clients if you're interested in this form of practicing law virtual law practice will help you some of the bullet points of topics in the book number one responsibly delivering legal services online to your clients, two, successfully setting up and operating a virtual law office, third, establishing a virtual law practice online through a secure client-specific portal, third, uh, fourth, managing and marketing your virtual law practice, uh, followed by understanding understanding and stating ethics and advisory opinions, and finally, finding more flexibility in a work-life balance in the legal profession. Stephanie Kimbrough's Practical Guide also provides case studies of individual virtual law practices along with the client Client scenarios and show and, and to show some how to web based technology that may be used by legal professionals to work with online clients and avoid malpractice risks. So, again, ababooks.org virtual law practice how to deliver legal services online. Our second practice management uh, resource of the day is the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and the Chicago Lawyer Magazine. If you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and the Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you'll get up to date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois. Also, check out out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux with their careers. Visit attorneysintransition.com. Our final uh, law practice management resource again is the Law Practice Management School hosted by ALR Classes starting January 5th, 2011 please go to ALRPRA.com forward slash law practice management school for more information. Now back with Marcus Stephen Harris. Again, uh anyone who does want to call in with a question, 917-889-9732. Marcus, before the break you were uh, starting to talk a little bit about some of the uh legal implications with social media use. Yeah, I mean I
1: think you know the the reasons for using social media as a as a as a means for self promotion and marketing are are clear. You now we've touched on a, on some of them here. Um But what's not so clear are some of the legal issues and the legal trouble that you can get into when you're using social media. Um, I think one of the the biggest and easiest things to talk about with respect to um, using social media, Facebook and Twitter, is who owns um, the content. Okay, um, who owns the copyright to the text, the graphics, the photos, and the logos that you are using? Um, you need to be very careful about that. Uh, yeah, most people think that, you know, whatever they see on the Internet is free reign, that they can copy and paste it, uh, repost it, and that's really not the case, okay? Um you need to assume um, as you move forward in your social media campaign that uh, everything that you see out there on the Internet is really not ripe for the taking and that you need to ask permission before you use these types of things. Um, the real, the very real threat of a copyright lawsuit is there, kind of something that you can easily avoid um, by just using some common sense. Uh, you need to think about the ownership of your actual profile page. Okay, So, for example, when you go to... Um, uh, Facebook, and you start a business page, you know who owns that page? Um, who owns uh, the logos that you're putting on there? you know they are your company logos, but uh what kind of rights are you giving uh, to Facebook to be able to display those? Um, who owns the posts that are made by third parties? you know all of those things um, can be important depending on the particular situation, and you need to, you know, have a full understanding of, of the ownership implications of of uh, both the site and the posts that are being put on, on your uh, social media site. Uh, a related issue is the use of likenesses. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for people to post pictures and photographs of uh, uh, a variety of things on their social media pages. And you know you need to be careful when doing so because the use of somebody's likeness without their authorization can result in um, some legal issues uh, you also need to be mindful of things like the CAN-SPAM Act and you know, uh, the kind of interaction you have with your customers or potential customers and to make sure that you're not violating these kinds of laws. So, you know, there's a lot of legal landmines um, with the use of social media, but, you know, with uh, some common sense um, and consulting with an attorney that's versed in these issues, you can really go a long way to avoid those issues.
0: The common sense approach is is one that uh, I think is a pretty good um, litmus test. However, I can imagine that there are companies out there who are they're putting a lot of efforts into online campaigns using social media channels. Um, is that something that you have a flat rate for or what? What do you have to offer companies who may call you and say, uh, you know, Marcus, I'd like you to take a look at our, our you know, posts and our, our pages and give us an opinion on, on what we're doing and highlight some things that we should think about? Um, is that something that you do frequently or are you asked for that? We do that on a regular
1: basis. I mean, We review social media campaigns, advertising campaigns, and kind of an audit kind of a scenario. Um uh-huh. it's usually not done on a fixed fee basis. It's usually done at an hourly rate. Um but, you know, having said that, it depends on how how you know how large the campaign is and what's going on. Um can mm-hmm. usually uh, provide an estimate and try to work within those estimates pretty pretty easily. Um but yeah, it is something that we do on a regular basis. <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: Well you have the fun you have all the fun stuff. You have a fun law practice, isn't it? It can be, you know. It's uh, some of the uh, the more interesting things
1: are certainly uh, a lot of fun to do. But you know, it's uh, it's uh, it really runs the gamut from some traditional intellectual property um, issues to uh, some of you know things that are really on the cutting edge. And um, you know, it's uh, it's very challenging and it's uh, it's fun on a daily basis. I certainly do look forward to coming into work every day and and you know being presented with these challenging issues and you know, that uh, many attorneys just haven't seen before. And you know, that's that's a uh, where the the fun really lies is being presented with legal issues that are topical, um,
0: that are cutting edge and, you know, that we just haven't seen before. So it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Marcus, are there any uh, issues or trends or uh, any topics that you wanted to touch on today that I might not have hit?
1: You know, I think we've really touched on most of the issues that, that uh, you know, we, we wanted to touch on. Um, you know, we talked about some of the software licensing issues, some of the general technology issues, social media issues. Uh, we talked a little bit about the practice areas that we cover um, and what's involved in those. And, you know, most importantly, we talked about our upcoming uh, technology law seminar series that we're going Im- to start implementing in February of the coming year. So I think we hit on most of those, um, you know, I just want to say that we're real excited about our upcoming seminar series and, you know, we're looking forward to having some good solid interactions with our clients and providing some really good topical information that they can use.
0: Well, and it's good to make it enjoyable and make it a part, you know, an easy way for people to participate. And that's another thing that we like so much about these webinars. Um, is that people who are attending can click to raise their hand and ask a question and participate, whether they're across town or across the globe in the middle of the night. It's just a really fun way to bring people together. And I know just looking at uh, just you know Facebook pages and, and uh, the amount of international uh, clients and people that we've had on our Facebook page, it's really fun. Oftentimes I find myself using Google Translator to talk to some of the people, um, but it's a really enjoyable time. So it's again, thank you for offering that to to your clients and to uh, people generally. So how can people get a hold of you if they want more information?
1: Well, if they want more information, they can certainly feel free to email or call us. My phone number is uh, 312- 2630-570. Also, again, it's 312 um, Our website is www.mshtechlaw.com and
0: my email address is mharris at all right, Marcus, Stephen Harris, thank you for being on the show today. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Nick. It was a lot of fun. All right, great. We'd also like to thank our listeners out there who loyally tune in and click and listen to the Lawyer's Toolbox Show and the Consumer's Law Journal Show, uh, both shows brought to you by ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. We also want to thank our sponsors. Today we had the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme, the Lawyer Market, and Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group. We want to let you know about a couple upcoming broadcasts. Uh, On December 21st at 3 p.m., we will have Attorney Donna Adler talking about immigration and site enforcement, things that employers should know about immigration, things that uh, liability and exposure that employers should be aware of. On January 13th, we will have returning uh, guest Mary Erlane, business coach and uh, the LinkedIn lady. Many people know her as the LinkedIn lady. She's going to be on talking about prospecting Plans for 2011 and filling the pipeline. So, again, while Mary Orlane is a business coach for general business, she does tweak all of her information for our listening attorney uh, audiences. So, we always appreciate Mary being on the show. Again, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on specific facts and location. Communication with our attorney guests among callers and guests on this show does not give rise to an attorney client relationship. And if you have further questions, you are always always encouraged to consult with an attorney and or professional in your area. Finally, all callers do remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. These Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice and inf- practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With our guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio broadcast to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for ALR PRA Incorporated. We thank you for your time, and again, would like to point you to ALR. PRA.com forward slash law talk radio for other uh, broadcasts and archives, upcoming shows, and a link for information. Our site also has information about the law practice management school, our blogs, our pro bono initiatives, and other things of general interest. So again, thank you to all of you for tuning in. Thank you again, Marcus, for being on the show today. Thank you. All right. And we will be back next week, and we will be off for Christmas. So see you on Tuesday.